What would it look like to actually live free this morning, Stone Creek? What would it look like to live free? And I'm not talking about um, then the freedom that comes in the freedom to vote. I'm not talking about the freedom to paint the outside of the house, your house any color you want, even though that's not really a freedom because the HOA will shut you down real fast. <laughs> I'm not talking about the freedom that it is to call someone on your phone and hold the phone when the cops aren't around. I'm not talking about that kind of freedom. What I'm talking about is what would it look like to live free, like truly free, like a heart-freeing, heart-releasing, thirst-quenching kind of freedom? What would it look like? And as we start out this series called Living Free, we're going to be walking through the book of Galatians for the next six weeks. And what we believe is that throughout the words of Scripture in this book, it's an identity moment where we can learn how to have that kind of freedom. So one really cool thing that we're going to do um, throughout this series is we're going to have somebody come up and read the entire chapter of, of Galatians. So this, this today it's Galatians 1, over us as a body, and then we'll dive into the message. So I want to invite my friend who knows freedom very well, Jake Birnbaum, up on the stage. And it's his birthday, so like, come on, give it up for him. So Jake's going to read for us out of Galatians 1. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born, and he who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me, in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him for 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. 
Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They were, on, they were only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Amen. Let's go, Jake. I mean, come on. Aren't you glad to be in church today, right? Like, what other churches are letting Jake Birnbaum come up here? It's his birthday. He's awesome. We love Jake. And, man, what an amazing way to start our time today. See, what Jake just read and what the scripture teaches, what we saw in that video uh, bumper before Jake came up here, is we, uh, as people, we have this desire to be free, don't we? And we have this desire, this innate desire to walk in true freedom this morning. And man, I want to brag on our, our students for a second because I'm the student pastor here and what would I be doing my job if I didn't, right? And so let me brag on these awesome students just for a second. Man, this past week, um, I can tell you that, uh, or sorry, let me, let me start here. A couple of years, last couple of years, God has moved in some amazing ways at the escape, the retreat that Ryan was talking about. And man, I can tell you that there were students who walked in feeling broken. There were students who walked in feeling weighed down by the different weights that come in school and in family drama and in friendship drama and identity crisis. And over the past couple years at the escape, we saw anxiety be laid down. We saw depression be laid down. We saw suicidal desperation be laid down. We saw identity confusion be laid down in the name of Jesus. And students pick up freedom for the very first time and come back home to their homes. And can I tell you that when you experience the true freedom of Jesus, it is really hard to not tell tell other people about that freedom, you know. And so this past week, um, I saw like 20 students get into a room in a classroom right across the hall. And this is so cool. But because they were free, they wanted others to experience the freedom of Jesus. And so this is what they did. For an hour, they scrolled through their phone from A to Z and looked for all middle schoolers and high schoolers they knew. Because they knew as students that there are other students who desperately need to experience real freedom in the person of Jesus. So they called him and just invited him and for the escape and prayed that God would open doors. And in an hour, they got 45 other students to sign up for the escape. I mean, come on. And is it because they're the greatest telemarketers to ever exist? Maybe. <laughs> but probably not, right? It's probably because all of us have an innate desire to be free. And all of us long to experience true freedom. And if someone can tell you, hey, I know where to find freedom. It's right here. Man, so many of us, we want to at least explore to see, could it actually be that freedom, real freedom, exists right here? There's something special about freedom. There's something special about it. My goal today is that maybe together as a body of believers, we would experience a glimpse of the taste of the true freedom that can come in the person of Jesus and in him alone today. Man, I'm not talking about political freedom. Let me be clear. We live in one of the most free places in the entire world, don't we? Like the fact that we can come and have church here right now and I'm not in danger of being up here preaching. You're not in danger from worshiping in public. Like that's a big deal. We're, we're not, we have freedom of speech. We have freedom to vote. We have all of those freedoms. But that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is internal freedom. See, so many of us, we are freer than, any, than 99% of the world Yet mentally and spiritually, we've never felt more trapped. All you have to do is look at statistics, don't we? One in five adults in America would say that they are severely battling mental illness right now. 
21 million Americans would say that at some point, at least once, they've had a severe case of depression that they've had to walk through. Even though we may look free, so many of us feel so fat. We feel so stuck, and we don't know how to get back to freedom. But we want to be people of freedom. See, I don't think that any of us <laughs> um, wake up in the morning on our way to work and just think to ourselves, you know what? I really feel like being a slave to my job today. I'm going to do it. I don't think many of us are, while we're driving in the car, just think, you know, I'd love to be just a slave to anxiety. Oh, man, I would love if my identity just looked like depression. It'd be awesome. We would, that'd be great. Now, I don't think I'm about to get married in a month, praise God. And when I stand across from my fiance on our wedding day, tell me if I'm wrong, those of you who are married, but I got to imagine I'm not going to look at her in her face and go, you know, in two years I'm thinking about going into heavy addiction. <laughs> this isn't things we plan for, is it, right? It's not this, this baggage and this, this, this weight of sin isn't something that we long to be a part, but all of a sudden it creepily sneaks into our lives and we don't know how to get become free once again. Matt, uh, we all have this desire to walk every moment in true freedom. The problem isn't our desire to be free. The problem is that so many of us become trapped and we feel the weight of the baggage of our, of our actions in the world and culture and our sin and expectations. And we feel all of that and we don't know how to get away from it to become free once again. We feel confused and hopeless and lost. It's not the desire. It's that so many of us are stuck. But today I want to talk to you about the true gospel. I mean, the real gospel that Paul talks about in Galatians 1. And what gospel literally translates to mean is good news. Do you know why it's good news? Because it's news, the only news in the world that leads to true freedom. It's good news. The good news of the gospel is that true freedom exists in the midst of it. Because Jesus promises us that through the real gospel, he'll walk with us every step of the way to get us towards freedom. This is the gospel I want to talk about this morning. See, what does freedom feel like? Freedom feels like peace. And how many of us could use some peace today? Freedom feels like a firm foundation to stand on even in the midst of tragedy. What does freedom sound like? It sounds like joy. It sounds like praising even in the midst of pain. Freedom is something that we all long for, but so many of us are confused why we're not living in full freedom. But I believe that through the real gospel this morning, real and authentic freedom is available for all of us. See, the, the book of Galatians, man, it's an integral part of the New Testament. So much of what we believe and how the church acts and how the church, what the church follows comes from the book of Galatians for the last 2,000 years. And it's written by this guy named Paul, okay. And let me tell you about Paul. Paul knows a thing or two about freedom. And I'm not talking about, like, maybe the American freedom of freedom of speech and all that stuff. No, no, no. He knows real freedom. There's this one moment in the book of Acts where Paul and his friend Silas are literally locked in prison because they're talking about Jesus. And, and they get in trouble for it. So they're locked in prison behind physical bars. And what do they do? They worship and praise for hours on end in the middle of the night. And what happens? Their chains are broken. The doors are open. They're free. And Paul has, there's another moment where he's shipwrecked, boat sinking, 
He's abandoned. He's isolated. He's alone. And what happens? He walks in the hope of the gospel because he knows true freedom. So what Paul shows us over and over and over again throughout his life is that freedom is not defined by our circumstances. As followers of Jesus, freedom can't be defined by our circumstances. But freedom is defined by the person of Jesus. And church, can I tell you this morning that your freedom today doesn't have to be defined by your circumstances anymore. But if you put your faith in Jesus and believe in the one true gospel, you can be free regardless of what you're walking through. Through the person of Jesus, you can be sick and still be free. Through the person of Jesus, you can be broke as a joke and you can still be free. Man, through Jesus, you can, enter, you can come out of a broken relationship or have the midst of, in the midst of a broken family or feeling like you're walking through a tornado that's spiraling downward and you can still find joy and freedom because in Jesus, our freedom isn't in circumstances. It's in one name, and that name is Jesus. See, Paul started the church of Galatia, uh, the church that he's writing to in the book of Galatians. Galatia, Galatians, you get it? Cool. Galatia. He started this church, and then he went off, right? And so now he's writing a letter back to Galatia because he hears of some things that he doesn't love that the church is beginning to turn to. It would, it's kind of like if you're a, a father or a mother in the room, and you sent your son off to college, okay? A lot of you have done that. And, and maybe you hear stories or you have speculations that your son isn't living the life that you thought that they would in college, right? Maybe they're in the party scene. Maybe you think they're going kind of crazy. And so you go like, you're like, man, I got to do something about it. As, the, as, my, as his dad or as his mom, I got to say something to get him back to what real life and real purpose and real freedom actually is. He's confused. Let me get him back. And why do you, why do you tell him that? Is it just because you don't like him anymore? No. Right? You, if, you were, if you were that mother or you were that father, you write that letter out of love. Right? But also accountability. To say, hey, no, 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 no. Don't miss out on the true life and the true freedom that could happen in Jesus. And this is exactly what Paul is doing. He's writing the church of Galatia. He's saying, hey, you're missing the point. You're missing the mark. And can I tell you that there is a way to get back to where you, you, you belong, a way back to freedom, a way back to life. You don't have to miss it anymore. And the book of Galatians, man, it is, a, it is a massive, massive moment in the history of the church. It's a massive moment in the history of how we do church and how we see faith. And so I want to set the scene for you a little bit. Paul is writing to Galatia, like I said, and he's writing to this group of people, the church, but also this group of people called the Judaizers. You all say Judaizers. Kind of sounds like Transformers, but like nowhere near as cool, right? Judaizers, this group of legalistic Jews, these legalistic Jews who are telling the church of Galatia something contrary to the gospel that Paul had already taught them. See, what they're saying, these Judaizers, they're saying, hey, if you want to actually have faith in Jesus, here's how it works. You, you got to put your faith in Jesus, but then you have to do all of these works, follow all the old Mosaic laws, so all the laws you would read in the Old Testament, which is so many laws, literally impossible to follow them all, but you have to follow all of those to get back to right standing with God and for him to actually save you. And so the church of Galatia, man, they're stuck in this place of confusion. They're like, wait, 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 I thought I heard about a gospel of this guy named Jesus. I thought that all I could, had to do was believe and I could be free. And now you're telling me I have to do all of these works in order to be free too. I'm so confused. What's going on? And so the church of Galatia, they begin to turn their eyes away from Jesus into a false gospel that the culture in this moment is teaching them. And so Paul, he's, he's, he's heartbroken. He's angry. And 
he's righteously angry, right? He's frustrated that the church that he, he started and shepherded and pastored is now turning away from the one true gospel, the only gospel that leads to life. And so as this next six weeks, we're going to be diving through all of this letter, all of Galatians 1 through 6. But today, we're just going to go to the beginning, how he started the letter to the church of Galatia. And we're only going to focus on five verses. Jake read all of it in an awesome way. But we're going to focus on five verses today. Because I believe that if we could take hold of these five verses in our hearts this morning as a church, it could change everything for us. So I want to start in um, verse 6. Galatians 1 verse 6. It says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. And he's referring to the Judaizers in this moment. There are some that distort you and try to turn you away. That's the Judaizers. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, let him be accursed. And that's a severe word. There's something bad. There's something severe about these Judaizers trying to turn the church of Galatia away from the one true gospel. It says, as we have said before, and now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Let me ask you, have you ever sent a text or an email maybe out of frustration or anger, and all of a sudden it led to a lot of future conversations that ever been you? Husbands, that should be all of you probably, right? You've sent a text to your wife at one point, and you're like, ooh, did not see it leading to all these conversations, right? <laughs> Maybe she's two seats away from you right now. You can scoot over if that's you. I don't know if you've sent these texts or emails, but I know I have where I'm like, man, I, I want this to lead to future conversations. This needs to lead to future conversations. It's not always going to be easy, but it has to because there is tension here that we need to resolve. So Paul writes this letter to the church of Galatia, and it leads to future conversation on future conversation, and it becomes a defining moment in the history of the church. See, in Acts 15, uh, a group of believers, they form this council called the Jerusalem Council that meets to discuss this very issue. And the, the question that they're asking all boils down to this. When I have faith, and I begin to follow Jesus, is my faith alone enough to be saved? Or do I need faith plus works? Is faith alone enough? Meaning I put my faith in Jesus, no turning back, old life, dead, new life here, I'm saved? Or is it, okay, I put my faith in Jesus and now I have to do all of these things in order to get, stay in right standing with him and actually be saved? The Judaizers would say you had all these good works. But Paul's saying, no, how have you forgotten already? Jesus came and he defeated death and he rose from the grave. He didn't abolish the old law, but he fulfilled the old law so that now through faith, all we have to do is believe. And it leads to real life and real freedom. And all we have to do is walk in the grace of the cross. But the Judaizers, man, they were trying to confuse the church of Galatia. And Paul's like, man, what are we doing? We're turning to man-made gospels. In verse 10, he says this. He says, for, am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? I mean, am I, am I seeking the approval of the Judaizers or, or of God, the author of life? Am I trying to please man? And if I was still trying to please man, I wouldn't be a servant of Christ. Say that part again because that's severe. If, if I were still trying to please man, I wouldn't be a servant of Christ. Who are you serving today, church? God or man? I mean, the, the book of Galatians is so important to our, our faith. 
Because what's happening in this moment is the church of Galatia, they've, ta- they've taken a God-breathed gospel and put it to the side. And said, hey, I'm going to walk with this man-made gospel. And when I say man-made gospel, this is what I mean. Any gospel that's created by culture or politics or the news or even by us or the, even, or the enemy, obviously. Any gospel that's created that would lie to us and say, hey, this will provide more freedom. This will provide more life. This is a better way than the way of Jesus. And this church, and maybe, maybe some of us today, have begun to turn to man-made gospels instead of the one true gospel, the only gospel that can bring about real freedom. See, there are so many gospels out there in the world. There are so many that we see every day. You watch one Netflix show, all of a sudden you've seen probably 30 different gospels you could choose to live under the authority of, right? You watch the news for five seconds and all of a sudden there's 18,000 gospels that you can choose to live under the authority of. They're everywhere. And here's the reality. I don't think that many of us as followers of Jesus, we actually choose to live under the authority of false gospels. Right, like, I, like, early, like I said earlier, I, I don't think it's often that we're like, you know what, this one's bad. I'm going to live under this one instead. Maybe some of us, but for many of us, I think what the reality is, is that we begin to live under false gospels because we forget to remind ourselves daily of the real gospel. See, some, uh, the scripture says that as followers of Jesus daily, we need to pick up our cross, surrender our life, and follow Jesus. But we get caught up in the busyness of life. We get caught up in the craziness of our schedule or the circumstances that we're walking through. And all of a sudden, we forget the one true gospel and the enemy sees a foothold. And he steps in and he begins to speak these lies or culture or the news. They begin to speak these lies, right? And they say, hey, yeah, yeah, you got your gospel, but what if you added this in? It could make it a little easier. What if you added this in? It could make it more comfortable. Hey, if you added this in, I guarantee it could lead to more life right now in, in this moment. And unintentionally, maybe we begin to add on things to the one true gospel, and it loses its power of freedom. See, it could be that you're sitting here today, and you're like, man, Sean, no, no, I follow Jesus. I do. But I still feel so trapped. What do you, I, I don't know what you're talking about. Could it be that maybe, just maybe, you need to evaluate your understanding of the gospel today and pick out the things that are false and remind yourself of the truth. And we're going to get into some examples in just a second. See, I think it's important for us to see the false gospels and identify what those false gospels are so that we can pick them out of the true gospel and remind ourselves of the only way to freedom. So the first false gospel I want to talk about is exactly the one that Paul is talking about with the church of Galatia. It's the gospel of faith plus works. Man, as followers of Jesus, this has to be, especially followers of Jesus in America, this has to be one of the easiest false gospels we can fall into believing. And like I said, it might not be intentional, but I don't know about you, but when I was raised, my dad taught me that I need to work for what I get. And my dad taught me that I need to work hard to get where I want to be. Success is everything. I remember I needed to have the best grades to get into the best school so that one day I can get the best job and have the best bank account so I can retire well. It's all that matters. And so how easy is it to take that mentality and apply it to our faith? So easy. And all of a sudden, we begin to think, okay, I need to strive harder and harder and work harder and harder in order for God to continue to love me. And if I'm not doing these good works, I'm failing as a follower of Jesus. Am I saved anymore? And what does this do? It leads to guilt. It leads to shame. It leads to hurt. And that is the opposite of Jesus' desire for you. 
Now, I don't know how you grew up, uh, if you grew up in church or not, but then for many of my friends and family members, they grew up in the Catholic Church. And, and other denominations, not just limited to the Catholic Church, but I know a lot of testimonies that maybe begin like this. They were taught a gospel, and it probably isn't the church's fault, maybe it's the enemy's fault, but they were taught a gospel that was exactly this, faith, and then you had to do all of these things to stay good with God. You do all these things to stay right standing with God. You wonder why you go around the world and there's empty cathedrals everywhere. It's because people associate religion with shame and religion with, with fear and religion with hurt. Why is it? It's not because of Jesus. It's because we've allowed ourselves to believe a gospel that is contrary to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that gospel says, no, 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 no. I fulfilled that law. I took the price so that you could walk in freedom See, I want you to know that the gospel of Jesus is one of freedom. It's not of fear. It's one of freedom, not of fear. And in Ephesians 2.8, it literally says, as Paul is writing this letter to the church of Ephesus, later on it says, it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It's not of yourselves. It's, a it's, uh, it's not from yourselves. It's a gift of God. It's not by works. It's grace. Not by works so that no one can boast. So what you need to know is that salvation does require work. It does. It requires work. The penalty of sin is death, and someone has to pay that price. Someone had to do the work. But lucky for us, Jesus already did the work on the cross. Salvation requires work. Jesus took the work for us so that through faith we could walk every single day in freedom. Now let me be clear about something. I'm not saying that there shouldn't be good works in your life. I'm not saying that as followers of Jesus, we should not look dr drastically different than the rest of the world. But what I am saying is that your salvation is not dependent on your good works. The, your good works are a fruit of your salvation. Meaning that when you start to follow Jesus, your life should begin to look different. And, it, and you should have more righteous acts. And you should look more like the people that you read about in scripture, specifically Jesus. But your faith isn't dependent on those things. It's just dependent on your faith. And there's this process called sanctification, and I know that's a big theological word. I'm just trying to sound smart like Stephen Gibbs. But sanctification, what it means is it's the process of becoming more and more like Jesus. So when you give your life to Jesus, you enter into this process of sanctification. And what it means is the Holy Spirit will begin to transform you into a new person, into looking more and more like the person of Jesus. So obviously, as you're going into your friendships and you begin to look more like Jesus, of course your works with your friends are going to look drastically different, right? If you go into your workplace and you become more and more like Jesus, over time, the way you approach work is going to look drastically different, isn't it? I mean, if you go into uh, with your, your, your uh, parenting, your kids, of course it's going to look different. And your good works are going to match the fruit of the gospel because you're becoming more like Jesus. But it's not dependent for salvation. The gospel of faith plus works is a false one. You and, you and I were designed for a gospel of faith that leads to freedom. The second false gospel I want to talk about is the gospel of the world. The gospels of the world. See, one of the many points of the gospel, the fourth point that we would say here at Stone Creek is that there is a response, and it's to surrender my life. See, we believe that you, in order to experience full freedom, you need to walk in full surrender. Right? In order to experience full freedom of the gospel, you've got to walk in full surrender to Jesus. And, and there's, this, there's this moment in, in time where Jesus died for us to set us free so that we could walk in freedom. But there's good things in the world, we can be honest. And God wants it there to be. 
He created the world good. The Bible says he created the world good and us very good. He wants his children to enjoy good things. But when those good things become God things, they take our eyes off the prize. See, like, like it said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Like what that means is when Jesus is on the throne alone and everything else is underneath it, it's okay. You have everything you need. But Jesus plus anything equals nothing. When you take the gospel of Jesus and you try to add even little things, all of a sudden you feel trapped again. Your freedom may go out the window. See, one of the false gospels that maybe we try to add to the real gospel this morning is the gospel of the American dream. The gospel of the American dream. See, the gospel of the American dream says the bigger your bank account is, the better your life will be. The gospel of Jesus It says, no, 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 your treasure is already stored up in heaven. And yes, money is not a bad thing, but when it becomes your identity and the dependent thing that causes peace and freedom in your life, you are missing it. The gospel of the American dream says that when you have three kids, two dogs, a Tesla, and and a 401k, and all three of your kids get accepted into UGA, you've made it. Life accomplished. The gospel of Jesus says that you were intentionally created to go intentionally tell others about where they can find freedom in the person of Jesus. And one day, one day when you get to heaven and you see your neighbors and your coworkers and those, fr- those parents uh, that your p- kids are friends with in heaven, and Jesus looks you in the face and he looks at you with tears in his eyes and a smile on his face and says, well done, good and faithful servant. Mission accomplished. Life accomplished. And the American dream says you have to work and work and work and work and strive and strive and strive until you get to 65 years old and then maybe you'll experience a little freedom in life. The gospel of Jesus says that freedom and life are available today and every day going forward through faith. And the the gospel of the American dream is one of the false gospels. Another one is the gospel of of politics. Let's be clear about something. America is God's country, not a presidential candidate's. See, the danger and poison of the, of the gospel of politics is what we do is we put the hope of our, of our good, well-being and our peace and our freedom in the hands of someone else who's full of sin. And there's no presidential candidate who's raised someone from the dead, right? I mean, if you, there is, come let me know. They deserve to be president. There's no presidential candidate that died on a cross for you. There's no presidential candidate that can instill hope and freedom in you. There's no presidential candidate or anyone in politics who can say, here, here's your purpose for life. See, the gospel of politics, it says that Republican or Democrat is the truest thing about you. The gospel of Jesus says that child of God and Jesus follower is the truest thing about you. The gospel of politics says that if you're a Republican, there's nothing, there's no truth in the Democratic Party. If you're a Democrat, there's no truth in the Republican Party. The gospel of Jesus says, hey, no, 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 there's only one truth in one way and one life, and it comes in the person of Jesus. And the gospel, the gospel of uh, politics says that you should watch the news all the time in order to fill up and make sure you're ready for life. The gospel of Jesus, it says, meditate on my word day and night, and you will be filled with peace that is past your own understanding. The gospel of politics is a false one, and we can't put it on the throne with Jesus. The last one is the gospel of comfortable Christianity. 
See, the gospel of comfortable Christianity says, I will only come to church if my favorite pastor is speaking. Hopefully his name is Sean. I don't know. And that song from 104.7, the fish is being sung. Right? Then I'll be there. All day, every day. The gospel of Jesus says, no, 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 it's not about that. It's about coming to join the fellowship of believers in order to come, not just be, be entertained, but to be equipped to go out to my workplace and my family and my friend group on mission in the name of Jesus. The gospel of comfortable Christianity says, okay, cool, I had my faith journey on a Sunday. I'm going to leave it uh, blank again until next Sunday. And the gospel of Jesus says that we should live every moment of every day walking through gospel lenses and asking ourselves the question, what would Jesus do if Jesus were me in this moment, in this interaction with this person at this moment in time? See, Galatians the, the Galatians, they kept trying to put culture back on the throne. They kept trying to put old law back on the throne. And Paul was pleading with them about, hey, it's time to remember that Jesus defeated death and has taken the throne of freedom back forever. And all our response is we have to put our faith and life in him. See, what Paul knows and is begging for us to know today as a church is that this gospel of life is the same gospel that's changed nations and it's changed generations. This, this gospel of, of life that was available for us today, it changes things. It changes the way you operate. It changes the way we see life. It changes the lenses that we see through. It changes our eternity. So can I tell you about the true gospel for a second? This is the true gospel. And there's a God, creator of the universe, author of life. He is so good. He's not some far-off deity. He is a God who desires close, intimate, personal relationship with you. And in, in scripture, it says when he created the world, he created everything to be good and to walk with his creation. In freedom, not in chains. But then sin enters the world. And there's an issue. It's a problem that we have sinned. See, all of us, you don't have to look very far, turn on the news for five seconds, and you know we live in a dark and broken world. And there's brokenness that sneaks its way through all of our lives in different ways, and that's called sin. And sin, the penalty of sin, it's death. It's separation from God forever. And on our own, like Paul shows, is there's no good works to get out of those chains and that slavery on our own. We can't get back to freedom. But there's such good news. There's such good news that there's a hope. And his name is Jesus. And Jesus, when he came and lived a perfect, sinless life, and then he chose to take a cross that he didn't deserve, died a death he didn't deserve so that we could walk in a life and a freedom that we don't deserve. He said, hey, I know it takes work to be saved, but I got the work. All I want for you to do is my creation is to be restored to walking in freedom through faith. So what's the response this morning? How do we respond to the true gospel? I think it's, it's summed up perfectly in Romans 10 verse 9. It says, and that message, gospel message, this very message about faith that we preach, 
If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Freedom, real freedom forever. For it's by believing in your heart that you are made right with God and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. All the scripture tells us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. I mean, you don't have to strive for good works anymore once you trust in Jesus. Faith leads to freedom. Look, look at this, Jew and Gentile. That means everyone, not just people of Jewish descent, not just the Judaizers. All of us are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I want to ask that question I asked off the top again. What would it look like to walk in real freedom today? tell you, it's such a better life than walking in brokenness. And the only way, the only way, the only answer, the only hope is one name. That name is Jesus. So I want to close in prayer and invite anyone who needs to, to, to lay down where they've been trapped and walk into freedom and say, Jesus, I'm done striving. I'm done running. I'm done walking away. Maybe, just maybe, you could actually give me true freedom. Let's pray. Jesus, it's all for you. It's all for you. Lord, thank you that you chose to come and live a life of sin, or not of sin, and so, you could, so we, that in our lives of sin, you could come and die on a cross so that we could be saved and have freedom forever by joining you in your resurrection through faith. Jesus, I pray for anyone in this room right now, in this moment, who, who feels trapped, just feels the weight of sin today. And they didn't really believe, maybe they lost belief, maybe they've forgotten that there's a way to actually be free. It starts with faith in you, Jesus. So Lord, I pray if there's anyone in this room today that desperately needs real freedom and real faith, that they would pray this prayer with me right now. Jesus, I am ready to follow you. I believe you died on the cross, and I believe you rose from the grave. I'm tired of doing life on my own. I'm ready to walk in true freedom through faith in you today and for the rest of my days. And if that's you, something we do here at Stone Creek, it's not for anything other than just to put a stake in the ground for you and your, your relationship with Jesus is with all eyes closed and all heads bowed. I'm going to count to three. And when I do, if that's you and you gave your life to Jesus, you respond and say, hey, I'm done walking in darkness. I'm done feeling trapped. I'm ready to walk in freedom. You would raise your hand in declaration that you're someone who's walking out in freedom today. Count of three. One, two. Lord, we love you. We're so grateful for you. And we're grateful that we get to walk in your grace today. It's in your name we pray.